Hi, everyone. Welcome to News and Brews Sports Biz, our podcast series that advocates for the financial voices in college athletics and features new developments impacting the business of college sports. I'm Ken Kurzel. And I'm Katie Davis. Joining us today is Courtney Gaucher, Vice President and Director of Athletics at Florida A&M University. Hey, Courtney, glad to have you with us today. Good morning. Uh, it's a pleasure. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's always a great day to share some of the unique things that are happening uh, here at FAMU. Well, that's great. Uh, Courtney, can you start us off by sharing a little bit about your history in the industry and the career path that got you to where you are today? Absolutely, Tim. Um, you know, I would say that that I uh, I actually kind of fell into intercollegiate athletics. Um, I, I wasn't uh, probably good enough to play college ball, but uh, played a little baseball in college and, and um, you know, football and, and those type of things. And my high school coach came to me and said, son, you're not playing college ball. Just kind of give it up. <laughs> and uh, but I've got something for you. He said, you know, you ever you know, you ever been an equipment manager? And and uh, I said, no, never really knew what an equipment manager did. And, and he introduced me to uh, one of his good friends at the time. Uh, the gentleman of the head, uh, he was the head coach at Jacksonville State University, a gentleman by the name of Jack Crow. And uh, so met Coach Crow. Um, he offered me a, a scholarship to come be a manager of the football team. And so um, I showed up uh, in uh, June of 2007. He threw me some keys and said, hey, this is what I need you to do. <laughs> and uh, so it was uh, kind of an organic start. Um, and so just learning what an equipment manager did and, and how that, um, you know, correlated with running a football program. And so uh, as an undergrad in college, I just, you know, started to kind of get more responsibility. And the next thing you know, I was, uh, you know, helping arrange travel and, you know, helping on recruiting weekends and making sure that everything was uh, was, you know, just kind of locked in and tight. And so fast forward, um, you know, comes graduation time and, you know, I get ready to graduate and I actually had a job offer uh, from Tennessee State University, uh, who was a member of the OVC at that time. And, um, you know, coach came to me and he said, you're not going anywhere. We're going to hire you here, <laughs> uh, but we're going to give you some more work to do. And uh, at that time, the athletic director, Oval Janes, uh, who's still a, a, a great mentor to me today. Um, you know, he pulls me in the office and he says, Hey, you've done a phenomenal job here. We want to, we want you to stay. We're going to pay you a whopping $30,000 a year. And Oh, by the way, um, we're going to build a $47 million stadium and you're in charge of the project. Wow. Uh, so as a 21 year old, um, I had not built a thing in my life and I was like, you want me to do what? <laughs> um, but it was a, it was a great learning opportunity. It was, it was a great opportunity to, to really, um, roll your sleeves up, uh, and become a sponge to some degree. Uh, but also, um, to continue to tailor my craft. And at that time had no facilities background, but I learned a lot really quickly. Uh, and so over the course of the next year, year and a half, um, you know, we brought that project in uh, on time and under budget and learned a lot from my colleagues, you know, from a lot of the associate ADs that were involved in the project at that time. Um, and it was great. Um, and so as we, you know, talk about kind of how we started, that was the start. And from there, I actually jumped out into the private sector for about a year, year and a half. Uh, but my passion was always intercollegiate athletics. I, I simply fell in love with 
uh, with athletics, with sport. Uh, and so in 2012, I joined uh, Rick Stockstill at Middle Tennessee State University, mm-hmm. um, where I, I really, I would say this period of my career was probably the one that I grew the most. Um, I got a chance to work with individuals at that time, like Graham Neff, who's now the, the AD oh, wow. at Clemson. Uh, he was one of the guys that hired me there at Middle. Um, you know, Chris Massaro, the athletic director there, who, who uh, really changed the trajectory of my career because he gave me an opportunity to be an administrator. And so I uh, spent six and a half years at Middle Tennessee, uh, three different roles, equipment manager, assistant AD, uh, and associate AD, um, where we had really some unprecedented successes. Um, our, our basketball team really took off under Kermit Davis during that time. Uh, we, we busted a couple brackets there uh, on a couple of different occasions. Our football program really, you know, took off and, and just kind of, you know, had a four-year span of back-to-back consistent bowls. Um, capital projects, we did over $40,000 in capital projects and facility master plans. And so uh, I was able to learn a lot, um, but also continue to, you know, um, invest in myself. And, and you know, I, I think it's really important because at that time, I was the, uh, the only uh, minority administrator that, that MTSU athletics had ever had at that level. And uh-huh. so it was a unique space, um, but it was also one where uh, to some degree you're, you're learning a lot and in, in how to adapt to different environments. And, and so I'll, I'll forever be grateful to, um, you know, for Christmas sorrow for giving me those opportunities. And uh, in 2018, uh, I had done just about everything, you know, except sitting in my boss's seat and it was time for, for more growth. And, um, Blake James, uh, gave me an opportunity to join him at university of Miami. And, uh, in a very similar role, my focus was, was on facility infrastructure, uh, and events. And so running hard rock stadium on Saturdays, but, um, Miami was in the middle of, of really, uh, building, uh, or, or really transforming themselves inside out. And it started with the Carroll Sofer indoor practice facility, uh, which was a, a $60 million indoor um, major upgrades to, uh, you know, uh, to the baseball program there, uh, the tennis program. And so he really needed someone to focus in on the, on the facility infrastructure. And so we did that, um, got some major projects under our belt and uh, things were great in sunny Miami. Uh, and I got a call um, uh, from my president, Dr. Leah Robinson, uh, about the possibility of, of joining his team here at Florida A&M. And, um, you know, we kind of went back and forth a couple of times, you know, I'd actually even given them a couple other names, you know, uh, you know, maybe, you know, talk to some other people. Um, but as our conversation started to materialize, um, I realized that this was just a unique opportunity that, quite frankly, I felt that, uh, you know, we were prepared to take on. And um, it was going to be different in many categories. Uh, I would at that time was the youngest Division One athletic director. Uh, historically here at FAMU, um, you know, they had not really had 80s, you know, under the age of 60. Um, and so it was it was a drastic cultural change. Uh, a lot of people didn't necessarily know that the skill set was, was there. Uh, but ultimately, you know, I believe my experiences, you know, at an FCS program, at a mid-major, and at a Power 5 allowed me a, a really diverse lens uh, to really understand 
what this institution and athletic program needed at the time. Um, our finances were, were really in disarray. Um, and, and there were just some challenges that, that really seemed to be, you know, something that we just couldn't overcome. And so um, we accepted the job in December of 2019. Um, a lot of moving parts, <laughs> you know, um, but we, we, one of the first things that we did is we understood that we weren't going to be able to do this alone. And we had to uh, bring in professionals, qualified professionals that, that understood how to run a Division I athletics program. Um, we were able to do that with a lot of my executive team. Uh, but then culturally, uh, I think internally at the university, we had a lot of roadblocks um, to understand, you know, what it takes to actually move the needle, um, implementing best practices, and sometimes even disrupting um, our traditional aspects. And so, um, you know, we're here, you know, there's been a, a lot of things that have happened over the last two and a half years. Uh, but when you talk about career path, I would say mine is untraditional uh in a, in, a, in a lot of aspects but um you know that that's kind of the story and, and I'm sticking to it <laughs> well I love your story and how quickly you advanced and how many different things you accomplished and had been exposed to as you you know worked on your path to FAMU and um you know as our firm has partnered with FAMU for many years we have seen the financial struggles some of the reputational dings that you all had to face and you came in the middle of that. And then a few months later, boom, COVID hit. And so, um, you know, in, even in spite of all of that, uh, you and your team have managed to accomplish so many things to turn things around at FAMU. And um, from a financial perspective, uh, you know, we know that you can't just cut costs and have the success that you've had. So you've really worked to focus on revenue generation and some unique and new different revenue streams. And so I wanted to just touch on a couple of those. Um, you know, first of all, uh, congratulations on the multi-year deal with Urban Edge Networks, um, new HBCU League Pass Plus, um, which is streaming all things Rattler. And then um, you also had the opportunity to elevate um, your presence with the LeBron James and Nike deal um, and really have gotten a lot of attention, not even just within Tallahassee, but across the country and um, even beyond that. So I guess, can you talk a little bit about just what you and your team have done to get these deals to happen and um, what you believe that these types of activities will do for Florida A&M athletics, as well as HBCUs as a whole? No doubt. Well, Katie, you know, I would say you're right. You know, it was an interesting period um, getting the job and then transitioning really, uh, you know, a couple of months in into this unprecedented circumstance uh, known as COVID-19 that, um, you know, any first year AD is like, really? You know, if this would happen on my watch, right? You know, um, and, and so there's so many unexpected challenges and circumstances that, that created already on top of a challenging situation. Uh, so for us, you know, we, we really rolled our sleeves up and, and compliments to our team when a lot of athletic departments, um, you know, were essentially trying to cut their way to prosperity, we grew. And, and that was, uh, you know, really unheard of during the pandemic, uh, but we were able to balance our, our budget um, again consecutively. Um, this is, I think, the third year that we've been able to do that uh, under our tenure. And, and that's 
huge for us, not just as as an athletic program, but as as a state institution, uh, because historically we we had struggles there. But but I think the the approach that we took from a leadership perspective is not looking at the current of what condition we were in, uh, but but hoping to look at the vision of what we could be even in the pandemic. And so uh, we had a lot of tough conversations, um, you know, even with our apparel companies, uh, mm-hmm. right at, at the point we had not had an apparel deal. Um, you know, we were working through a lot of things and um, we challenged the norm. Uh, you know, we said, you know, right now there was a, there was a period of, of social unrest, right. You know, social justice. And a lot of people were saying that, Hey, we want to help. We want to be a part of the change. Um, and in some, and in some categories, now's the time to support institutions like us um, that a lot of people experience um, how we create social change at institutions like Florida A&M. Uh, we've always kind of been that beacon of light. The question is, who knew? You know, who knew that we were the, the number one uh, uh, institution that produced, uh, you know, minority pharmacists and minority engineers, right? And so ultimately our apparel deal because of its nature uh, and the high profile nature that, that Nike was allowed to put us on a platform, um, it now causes a greater exposure to those programs and to the great work and the mission of this institution. And so holistically, that was the selling point to Nike. Um, do something that you guys have never done before. Uh, put us on a platform uh, that, that you've never done for an institution like us. Um, and obviously the resources are behind that. And so uh, the business model behind uh, you know, our deal is, is second to none. Um, you know, you talk about sports marketing schools and, and Nike has four of them. Florida A&M is now one of the four. And wow. so, again, just to understand what that does for our student athletes, uh, to be able to help support scholarships, um, to have our brand and our insignia now, not just in Tallahassee or the Florida region, it's global. Um, you know, we, we uh, have our brand and our apparel now, um, you know, in the global marketplace where there are retail and royalty dollars that now come back to support Florida A&M athletics. And so um, simply transformational, um, you know, it, it's one of those things, but, but our pitch to Nike was very simple, you know, um, you know, support us in a way that you never have and, and to just do it, you know, and I think that the return on investment for Nike has been there substantially, um, not only just from a marketplace, but from a community equity perspective. Uh, and those are things that, that obviously the, the financials are great, um, but I just think that community equity, um, you know, also sets them apart as one of the world leaders in their space. And we're, we were just excited to be a part of that uh, with LeBron, who just, again, is my favorite athlete. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, there was a, uh, you know, a little extra motivation uh, in, in this thing for us, but uh, it, it's been exceptional. Our student athlete experience our fan engagement, um, you know, I, I've got a pair of LeBron shoes that I'm scared to wear because I'm, I'm scared to, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, kind of hit us over the head for them. But uh, but it, it's great. And what it's done for our institution, um, we couldn't have imagined, you know, three years ago that that would have been an option. And so I think we took advantage of the circumstances and the times um, to turn a negative into a, a really significant positive that will far exceed my tenure. 
at Florida A&M. Um, but again, we'll, we'll set the standard. And, and our hopes uh, is that it elevates not just FAMU, but, but all HBCUs and, and lower resourced institutions uh, that, that people can take a closer look. Um, you know, we, we kind of compounded that with other things like Urban Edge Network. Um, brand exposure is something that, that's huge. You know, brand is perception. Perception drives choice. So in our business, not only are we recruiting students to the university, but we're recruiting top student athletes. Um, we, are, we are in a marketplace uh, now because of our LeBron deal, because of the exceptional things that are happening here at Florida A&M. Now that we're, we're competing with, with G5 and some, some lower end power five institutions for recruits in certain sports. And so um, from my perspective, that's where we want to be. Um, you know, and, and, and I think elevating the brand, being a part of um, elite programs like our football program, we're the only HBCU to win a 1AA national championship. We were able to return to the playoffs for the first time in 20, 21 years this year. Um, you know, and so how do you compound that? How do you continue to elevate that and show that? And that was one of the reasons why we partnered with Urban Edge Network to, again, be able to get that content out of Tallahassee, out of the region, um, you know, and, and obviously, you know, ESPN does own the rights to, you know, our conference, um, you know, games and events and all those type things, but it's the other ancillary content, um, you know, the Marching 100, uh, what the experience is like here on campus that we want the world to see. Well, those are some amazing successes uh, to celebrate for FAMU and one of the others that we saw this last summer was uh, your fundraising campaign leading to about a half a million dollars raised. Um, can you talk a little bit about what what that looks like and means for the FAMU community? Well, you know, I think it shows our brand power. Um, and so we were uh, we were still in the middle of the pandemic and we had a staff meeting. And um, even though we were able to balance our budget, finances were really, really tight. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I looked around my executive team and, and I said, guys, we, we gotta, we gotta find a way to get out, you know? And they're like, well, you know, can we, can we go? And, you know, if we go, are people really going to give, you know, people are just now kind of getting back employed and all these other things. And I said, guys, we got to do it. And, uh, they kind of looked around and said, all right. And, and so we, uh, we put this thing together called the strike tour, um, and, and, uh, we reached out to alumni in, in every location and we said, hey, we're going to set a, a goal for this city. And it's really important that, that we find a way to get there and we want to help. And, um, you know, our first city was Jacksonville, Florida. Um, and it was we met at the, the FAMU um, School of Pharmacy that's there. And um, it was unreal uh, that we were able to raise uh, you know, again, $25,000 in the first city. And once the rest of our alumni base and donor base saw that, it, it became a competition. So every city wasn't going to be outdone by Jacksonville. And so, you know, we go to Tampa and it was $35,000. Well, we go to, you know, Polk County down in Tampa and it was 45000 And then we go to Chicago and it's fifty. And every city continued to grow in, in, uh, in Miami, South Florida, you know, it was unprecedented. And we ended in Atlanta, um, you know, for a significant reason is because the, you know, the HBCU national championship and, and celebration bowl is there and uh, raised almost a hundred thousand dollars in Atlanta, but collectively the tour raised 
almost six hundred thousand dollars. And for us, you know, our goal was two hundred. And so, again, when you can exceed your goals and and do those type of things and, um, you know, once you're successful in those type of campaigns, your staff doesn't look at you crazy when you kind of pull (laughs) out one of these brain hair ideas. But um, but again, I think it speaks loudly and broadly to the power of this institution. Uh, some of the great things that our athletic program continues to do, but the level of transparency. Um, we're very transparent with our donor base um, and our alumni base that we have goals. We have peers that we're competing against. And if we want to be successful in that, it's going to take everyone. Mm-hmm. And so we're very transparent. Those funds were uh, really allowed us to uh, lean in and transform some of our facility infrastructure. We renovated our weight rooms for both for all of our athletic programs. Uh, we renovated our sports medicine areas and, and things that were grossly needed. Um, our locker room, uh, being able to to purchase you know equipment, uh, new washers and dryers for our equipment staff, etc. And so um, for us, that transparency to our donor base and to our constituents. Um, has been second to none. And quite frankly, uh, as we launch the second iteration, you know, of the strike tour, our goal is going to increase. Um, but because the, the motivations are already there. And so um, I, I give a lot of credit to our deputy athletic director, Keith McClooney, who spearheaded uh, that. And uh, I know he lost a lot of real estate on his hairline as well uh, <laughs> during that transition. But uh, we're really excited about what this did for our student athletes. That's great. What one of the um... At the start of our conversation, you talked about kind of getting thrown into the facilities side of athletics, you know, at a young age with your first job there. And um, so I'm sure that leaves you in a good spot as you have major renovations going underway for Bragg Stadium right now. Um, can you talk about that project a little bit, um, what the vision is there and how those facility enhancements might help improve the overall student athlete experience and you know, how you're also considering trends and changes that may be occurring in fan preferences and keeping fans engaged and coming to the games. Yes, my facility background um, couldn't have been more prevalent, you know, you know, in this role, um, because quite frankly, our facility infrastructure was extremely dated um, and, and we've had to catch up in so many categories. And so, um maybe January of 2020, uh, which is, you know, kind of before the pandemic hit, but, you know, a couple a month into the job, um, we had a meeting and, and uh, I was informed by the state that Bragg Memorial Stadium um, was going to be condemned in a year. And uh, my job as the AD was, I had to fix that if I wanted to occupy it. So I, uh, I looked over at, at my boss, the president, and I said, uh, I said, do you know about this? And he kind of said, yeah. I said, well, what are we going to do? And he looked at me and he said, hell, that's why I hired you. <laughs> so, uh, you know, talk about being thrown into the fire. Um, so I, I give Dr. Robinson a hard time about that. But, um, you know, it was it was part of the charge. And so, you know, as we we started from day one, uh, here in Tallahassee, we started to what we call friend raise. And we started to, to go and, and socialize ourselves with, with uh, community leaders, you know, our city and county commissioners, uh, our mayor, um, state officials, and have conversations about uh, possibilities at that time. And uh, some of my 
previous experience, you know, I've done some private, public private partnerships in, in my time at Middle Tennessee. And uh, so we commissioned an economic impact study. And it showed the economic impact of Florida A&M's football program uh, to the city, uh, to, to Tallahassee um, and Leon County. And that economic impact study uh, showed that uh, we have about a 15 to $20 million economic impact on an annual basis. Heads and beds, you know, gas, food being purchased, um, business being done here in Tallahassee. And based on that, you know, our message was very simple. It would be a shame if our community loses that because we don't have a viable option to compete here. But Bragg Memorial Stadium is not just a football stadium to this community. Um, when our community needs it the most, we've opened the doors to Bragg. Um, during hurricane season, it, it's become a, a, a space where we, we do emergency management um, operations there. Um, when COVID-19 hit, um, our football stadium became a, a major testing site, testing over half a million people. Um, and, and people were driving all over the region to come and get tested here. Uh, ultimately, we started doing vaccinations as well. And so our message, you know, again, was clear from day one that Bragg is more than just a football stadium. It's a beacon in our community. It's a historical uh, place that, again, allows our community to come together in more ways than one. And so uh, we were able to establish uh, a grant um, from uh, Blueprint Agency, which is a, a combination of city and, and county uh, governmental agencies. Uh, and we were able to land a $10 million uh, grant to, to renovate Bragg Memorial Stadium. And those renovations started last year. We kind of had to do one side at a time because of the timing um, in between football seasons. And so right now, what's currently under, underway is, is kind of the final uh, renovation, uh, which includes a new press box, uh, new bleacher seating for the west side, um, you know, video boards, lights, and, and things that, that really make the game day experience what it should be. Um, and ironically, you know, it, it's a great another public-private partnership within our community. And it worked so great uh, that a lot of our um, peers here in the city uh, use that same blueprint and were able to establish, you know, dollars to address needs. Um, Tallahassee Community College upgraded a baseball facility with the same business model that we presented. Mm. Um, Florida State was actually able to, to get $20 million using the same Kind of facility infrastructure background. Um, there's kind of a lot more scrutiny than ours, I'll say, but um, but ultimately we, we firmly believe that this is great for our community. The economic impact and the engines that we call athletic programs um, really ignite this community in ways that, that, that most couldn't imagine. And so um, we appreciate the local support, but, but that was the genesis behind it. And, um, you know, obviously we made you know, Bragg Memorial Stadium, a, a place that will be viable for um, for decades to come. That's that's a really great success story. And um, I've loved hearing how you've really engaged the community locally as well as, um, you know, elsewhere to figure out ways to bring in funds, support your student athletes. And of course, another new way to support student athletes is the hot topic of name, image and likeness. 
And can you talk about how um, athletes have been getting out and engaging with the community to um, come up with deals and what types of opportunities uh, your athletes have been afforded? So uh, Katie, great point. And I think this has been a, a, a hot topic um, for the past couple of years. You know, I remember uh, in my time at, at University of Miami and, and being in the meetings where uh, we were discussing it then and the implementation and how it was going to, uh, you know, affect what we know today is intercollegiate athletics. And so I, I am a huge supporter, you know, of, of our student athletes being able to profit from their name, image and likeness. Um, I, I think that there are different categories and levels uh, to the equation, um, you know, for our student athlete population. Um, there are some extremes. Uh, we have one student athlete in particular who has over a million followers on TikTok and Instagram, right? <laughs> um, and so that, that student athlete um, is well positioned to, to profit from that. And that was, you know, really even prevalent before he stepped foot on campus. Mm. And, and so, um, you know, our job has, has been to provide the resources and the tools uh, needed within the framework of our law. Um, for our student athletes to have those opportunities. Um, we recently, we partnered with uh, Influencer and Teamworks. And so that's our mechanism. We do have a framework and a policy that, that supports our, our state law. Um, and we were the first HBCU to, to launch uh, the local exchange with Influencer. And it is a turnkey solution that allows our student athletes to simply go into the app and partner with brands and companies who've already registered uh, within our, our local exchange. The great thing about this exchange for us is it allows our compliance office to be totally aware of what deals our student athletes are entering into. Um, it gives them the appropriate approvals um, as it relates to logos and marks and colors and all of those type of things. But it also helps our student athletes uh, with the with the tax element, the W-9 uh, element of, of, you know, any type of partnership. Um, and we've provided uh, exceptional uh, what we call continued education in regards to, um, you know, financial literacy, you know, uh, taxation. And we've partnered with a lot of our local uh, corporate partners, Regions Bank, Hancock Whitney, um, uh, you know, and the list goes on uh, to help come in and help us create these structures for our student athletes. And so um, we've jumped in full force. The state of Florida was was kind of one of the national leaders to say we're going to do it. And, um, you know, it was a great opportunity for us to really engage uh, with a lot of our peers, you know, ADs across the state. You know, I think we had some conversations about, OK, how are you guys planning to roll this out? And uh, I think the state uh, in itself did a really good job of packaging, um, you know, its framework. I do think there may be another iteration or two of it. Um, as you can see around the country, every state has their own little wrinkle. And so as you're competing and you're recruiting, you know, everybody's kind of amplifying whatever that, that benefit may be. Um, one of the things that has been a selling point here for us at Florida A&M is, hey, come to Florida because you won't pay state tax. Mm -hmm. So if we're, if we're competing against, yep. uh, you know, an Alabama state or, or we've got a kid that's on a bubble, um, you know, from a UAB and, you know, that's become a selling point. And quite frankly, it has really ramped up um, 
from my seat, uh, the, the level and quality of student athlete that we might get. Um, because these things are real. Um, I, I think the top two questions that we get from recruits, according to my coaches, is facility related and name, image, and likeness related. Mm-hmm. Um, those have been the two primary questions in this past recruiting cycle um, for us. And so our position, you know, from an athletic department is to provide our coaches with all the resources uh, that we possibly can for them to be successful in this new normal. Um, now we don't have any Bryce Youngs. We don't have any $800,000 deals. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, from, from what we've reviewed over the past, you know, couple of months since the rollout in July, um, is we, we have, you know, anywhere from, you know, a dozen to, you know, to 20 athletes who are actively, um, you know, making revenue off their name, image, and likeness. And so it's working. Um, I think that this, this will continue to grow for us as an HBCU, because many, many people thought that hey, only these deals and, and name, image, and likeness is going to be for those at the power five schools. And I do believe that, you know, um, at this level, there may not be as many as some of those other opportunities. And you're seeing this thing evolve daily, you know, uh, down in the South part of the state, you know, the, the big life wallet deal, you know, and, and how that's working. And you hear stories about Texas A&M and, and, and the list goes on. And so I think the, the reality is we have to find our niche. Um, you know, I, I think that our deals and our elements around name, image and likeness are gonna be less national deals and more grassroots. Um, you know, we've got a lot of hometown heroes that, you know, I was the star quarterback at the local high school and, you know, I may know the local car dealer. And, you know, and that local car dealer wants to give me a deal. And so I think at this level, um, we're seeing it to be more grassroots uh, instead of kind of a national trend. And, and quite frankly, um, depending on the profile of, of student athletes that you see, you, you're, you may see some of those national deals pop up. You know, everybody's, um, you know, the, the Dion phenomenon is, is what some call it. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, seeing that, that his son, who's the quarterback, you know, has a couple of national deals. And I think um, I think that that will continue to spread amongst the HBCU community at some point because of the emphasis on uh, DE and I. Well, it's been exciting to see um, some of the successes. You know, obviously, Dion's probably the, the most high profile of the success he's had with that, but really the success that all of the HBCUs are having, you know, with NIL and, you know, just that, that impact in there. Um, one of the other major changes you had uh, at FAMU was last July switching from the MEAC to the SWAC and uh, the conference change. Um, can you talk a little bit about how that transition has gone and what kind of long-term opportunity it offers the Rattlers in the new conference? Well, you know, it was uh, one of those things that, you know, as we, you know, kind of stepped into the job, it was really not in the deck of cards. Um, but we continued to really evaluate what was going to make us sustainable long-term. Um, I would say the biggest fire that we had to put out were the financial uncertainties around the athletic program. Uh, for many of you th- who followed or, or knew about the program, um, we had essentially cut the program to, to the bare minimum. Uh, we had eliminated sports, eliminated positions, operating budgets were very, very slim. But one of the, the largest expenses that we realized that, that was really unattainable was the travel you know, in the MEAC, um, you know, we're having to travel from as far as from Tallahassee to, to Dover, Delaware, 
Um, you know, it, it just wasn't realistic. Uh, the league did not have divisional play. Uh, and so uh, that was very, very challenging for us in all uh, 14 programs to, to really compete and have that cadence of travel. And so we, we started to uh, study other options. Uh, you know, we had some significant conversations with several conferences. Um, obviously, the SWAC is where we landed uh, because it was important for us to have um, to maintain our cultural re relevance, you know, in, in being in a HBCU conference uh, because of the fanfare, the pageantry and in what we know uh, from an from a culture athletically uh, to, to be the same. And the, ge the geography benefited us. Um, we, we had uh, significant savings because um, now a lot of our flights turned into buses. Um, because, you know, we can drive three hours to Montgomery, um, you know, for a conference game, drive six hours to Baton Rouge or Huntsville. Um, and so it made a lot of economic sense, uh, in addition to having divisional play. Um, and so that has benefited us significantly. Uh, we've identified uh, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of four to $500,000 in travel expenditure uh, that has been reduced. Um, but the good thing about it as well, and, and, and kind of the long-term vision was iconic brands like Florida A&M, and now we talk about Jackson State and Southern's been in that mix. But now you take the blue bloods of HBCU athletics and now put them together. Mm -hmm. um, and now you demand, uh, from my seat, a greater presence at the table when you're talking about multimedia rights. Uh, you, you demand a greater seat at the table now when you start talking about TV and media rights. And I think over the next year or two, you, you will see the kind of the spike in what the SWAC does in those categories. Um, you know, we played our first game against Jackson State at NFL Stadium in Miami in the middle of the pandemic. Um, but to be able to sell out an NFL stadium, um, to play on national TV on a Sunday, and it's because of the brand power. It's because that these perennial brands, uh, you know, are aligned and, um, you know, amongst the ADs, we kind of joke, we say we're the FCS version of the SEC, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, to some degree, you know, yeah. hey, aspirationally, yeah, everybody wants to be the SEC and, and, you know, kind of have those paydays and, and kind of fan following. But, um, you know, I think Jackson State averaged somewhere in the, the 50 or 60,000 person uh home games this year, we averaged about a 32,000, um, you know, person home game attendance this year. And, you know, again, compared to our peers in the FCS, we're light years ahead in those oh, numbers. numbers. And so now I think this marriage, this, this new swag um, allows us to demand greater, um, but also position ourselves uh, from a conference perspective uh, to, to drive revenue in places that it's never existed for HBCUs before. And uh, I'd be totally remiss if I didn't thank uh, Dr. Charles McClellan for his leadership. Um, he is he is a behind the scenes, very quiet, um, you know, very cool, calm and collected, uh, but he's a machine and he's done a phenomenal job, I think with positioning the SWAC um, to do some things that, that have just, you know, again, set us apart. Uh, we partnered with the PAC-12 and we have a Pac-12 alliance now in basketball. And so uh, Florida A&M will now host a Pac-12 peer on mm -hmm. our campus, right? Wow. Unheard of. 
And so, you know, as we talk about, again, controlling and growing the brand, um, you know, his leadership and his vision has been second to none. But but ultimately, those were the reasons and the rationales why we ended up leaving the MEAC to go to the SWAC. Um, you know, we have a storied history in the MEAC and, and, and certainly wish the conference well. But for us uh, at this time and, and, and quite frankly, at the front of kind of the, the shift, because, you know, I, I, I Joe, a good friend of mine, Greg Seitz is uh, AD and still friend of mine at, at Jacksonville State. Um, you know, he's like, you started the trend, you know, <laughs> you know, and everybody else kind of started to follow. And I said, well, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but um, for us, it was great to be positioned already in a conference that, that was going to yield dividends while the rest of really FCS, you know, was trying to figure out where they are. And in some categories, FBS, um, I do firmly believe that, that, that the Southwestern Athletic Conference over the next five to 10 years um, could even well be positioned um, to, to move from an FCS to an FBS platform. Um, I think that the brands are that strong. And, and I think that there is a, um, a strong desire and positioning to do so. And that's aspirational. Um, yep. You know, so I know some people take that soundbite and say, hey, the swag's going to FBS. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, but I, I certainly do believe that we will be strongly positioned that as intercollegiate athletics, the landscape continues to change. And it is. Um, you know, I, I think you're going to see, um, even with the NCAA Constitutional Convention, um, where the Power Five, you know, they're going to kind of do their own thing. Um, and then there's going to be everyone else. And, um, you know, I think our brand power speaks for itself. Yeah, well, you know, that is a funny joke of, you know, you starting the trend on conference realignment, um, but you really have started trends. I mean, you even talked about community engagement and these community grants that then led to um, your other peer institutions getting grants. And, and another area where you've been involved as one of the um, early adopters was signing athletic director used collegiate coaching diversity pledge. And um, so we are the third party clearinghouse for that. And, and it's an honor for us to be involved in that. And we always love bringing it up when we're talking to ADs who have committed to the pledge. In previous podcasts, we've had Mario Mocha and Tim Duncan, um, who are your peers that have also signed that pledge. But could you talk about what that pledge means to you, if you have any words of advice to other ADs out there that could um, jump on board and also sign that pledge? And then, you know, what Florida A&M is doing to support the initiative and be an advocate for the workforce? Absolutely. Well, I would say it, it was an easy uh, initiative for us to support. And, and I say that on, on a lot of different categories. On a personal note, obviously being a minority myself and understanding that uh, I've operated on both sides of the track, you know, so understanding how important that is. And, and now serving at a minority serving institution where, um, you know, I thought University of Miami was a melting pot till I got to FAMU. Um, but the diversity of, of culture, um, belief, race, sex, and all of those things, that's where our true strengths have been. Uh, as an institution. And so uh, as we look at hiring personnel and coaches, um, you know, our strategy here at Florida A&M uh, is not to just hire just black coaches. Um, we want to position our, our program to be successful, period. Um, and we want to hire the best candidates to support our student athlete experience. And I'll, I'll give you a prime example. 
Um, our men's golf program is headed up by one of the best golf coaches in this country, Mike Rice. Uh, he's a white male. And, um, you know, obviously the makeup of our golf team is, is obviously people that don't look like him. But he's done a phenomenal job with that program. And last year, uh, as the APGA Tour implemented the, the rankings for the best minority golfers in the country, well, guess what? Four of the top five were Florida A&M Rattlers. And um, again, it's it just those points of pride, you know, what Jamie Shoup has done with our, our baseball program and, and the makeup of our football program. And, you know, and, and the list goes on. And so as we talk about the, the, the need for continued support of diversity, equity, inclusion, um, you know, we're not exempt from that because we're an HBCU. We actually, I think we've done it best um, and our history shows that. And so, again, I think that most ADs at the HBCU level should be leaders in this space. Um, and, you know, it, it's been great and very fulfilling that uh, to get a phone call from a peer at a, at a Power 5 or PWI and say, hey, how have you guys addressed it? Talk to us about how we can make the, the not just check the box, but actually be genuine in, in how we're addressing, uh, you know, DE and I. And, uh, you know, I, I, I phrase it in a, a couple of different ways. And, and you know, it's, it's one thing, you know, uh, to be asked to the party, but it's another thing to be asked to dance, <laughs> you know. And so, you know, as we implement our hiring practices, um, we're very diverse, uh, even as an executive leadership staff. Um, you know, we, we support, um, you know, the LGBTQ community. Um, you know, we support, uh, you know, again, the, the various elements of, of diversity and, um, you know, Josh Padilla, who's even our director of communications and, uh, you know, and so we, we, we uh, we're really, really proud of, I think, our positioning in how we've really um, branded ourselves, but then also um, our hiring practices in that element. Well, Courtney, thank you for what's been one of the best conversations I think we've had on this show. Um, one of the things that Katie and I enjoy very much is coffee and beer and other beverages. Um, you know, so we're going to share a little bit about, you know, either what we're enjoying now or might enjoy later tonight and all of that. Um, care to share um, what, what your favorite drink is right now? Absolutely. So um, there is a, uh, and, and here's the secret, uh, the secret sauce, uh, but uh, Lucky Goat Coffee. Oh, um, I've had it. It's excellent. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So um, they're located here off Monroe. And so I, I normally yeah. uh, I patronize that 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 location pretty often as we, we make our way to campus. And so uh, that that's the uh, that's the secret sauce. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, definitely one of the best coffees in Tallahassee. So that's that's wonderful. Katie, what do you enjoy? Um, well, this morning I'm very basic with a Starbucks vanilla latte, but I um, have a friend that frequently travels to Boston on business and my favorite brewery on the planet is Treehouse Brewery. It's right outside of Boston and um, recently got a four pack. I have a can right here um, of their fruit project, which I think is now my favorite beer um, and it's uh, it's funny because they describe it as juicy fruit and it really does kind of taste, if you took juicy fruit chewing gum and mixed it with an IPA, <laughs> um, it's, it's incredible. So I've been enjoying that this week. 
Well, good. And um, well, I had Starbucks this morning too. My daughter's been on a Starbucks kick lately on the way to school. So we, uh, so I had the nitro cold brew this morning. Um, but my beer tonight is probably going to be one from uh, Equilibrium Brewing in New York, uh, a collaboration they did with Parish Brewing out of Louisiana called Ghost in the Laboratory. It's, um, I had one the other night. It was amazing. And I'm looking forward to another one of that tonight. So. Well, Courtney, it's been an honor. Thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Cheers and go Rattlers. Go Rattlers. Go Rattlers. To learn more about the James Warren Company Collegiate Athletics and Higher Education segments, go to jmco.com. And don't forget to sign up for insights to get our latest industry updates, news and events delivered straight to your inbox. You can also follow us on Twitter at jmcohighered and on LinkedIn for the latest news as the landscape of collegiate athletics and higher education is continually evolving. 